I know I promised some joy this week. I really wanted to give some joy this week. And then the Supreme Court ruling happened on Friday. And so we just have like all these things to talk about. So I thought maybe some updates and a little joy next week. All right, let's get started. Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and this is the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I love it when we chat, and there is so much to chat about. So last week, we talked about birthing while Black, and really it was an opportunity for me to speak about advocacy. I feel very strongly about advocacy and our ability, your ability to advocate for yourself in whatever situation, especially birthing, because that's a time where you just feel out of control, right? And you need to have control, but also you need to feel like the person that is working with you, the person that is assisting you is doing so in your best interest. So we talked a little bit about that. And then Friday, the Supreme Court decision regarding Roe v. Wade uh, was made. That final ruling was made. And my initial instinct was to run and like immediately put together a podcast on that. But I thought, you know what? Things are going to happen. Things are constantly changing. And let's see what's going on by next week. And we are. I'm doing this podcast a little late in the week, but it's given us almost a full week since the fall. And we've had a chance to see a little bit of how it's played out, which I think is interesting. And, you know, it's something that is going to continue to change. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this podcast. So thank you for all your comments regarding the birthing while black. You know, I'm going to, I guess maybe I'll get into a little bit of a story before I start this particular podcast, but I really wanted to go downtown and be where people were at the Supreme Court. Um, I decided it probably wasn't a good decision just being pregnant and, you know, people are... I don't know how a good way to put this, but since we're all kinds of going through things, people aren't necessarily presenting as their best selves. And so I thought maybe that's not the safest place to go <laughs> with this little baby that I'm trying to carry to term. But what I can always do, because I'm constantly interacting with women and people who can get pregnant, is speak to some of those people. So while out at the pool, I met a woman and I talked to her a little bit about um, what her thoughts were on the verdict. And this happened to be a black woman and she voiced that she was upset. And then one of the second things that she said was, you know, in my last pregnancy, I almost died. And she told a story about how she developed postpartum preeclampsia and had no idea and went to the doctor and had these very elevated blood pressures. And so that was part of her decision. She'd already made it that she knew she didn't want, want to have more children, but just the thought of having not having the ability to make that decision for herself. And then I met another woman who also happened to be a black woman a few days later, and I asked her what her thought was. And she shared that she had seven children and she felt very strongly about a woman's right and a person who can get pregnant, their right to choose and have autonomy over their body. Because in one of her last pregnancies, she 
almost died. These are the words right out of their mouth. And so I had several thoughts. I was thinking about this upcoming podcast, but then I was also thinking about the birthing while black. And, you know, in my last pregnancy, my last delivery, I almost died. So it is um, just something that I think about as we have these conversations and it's so nuanced. It's so individual. It's so personal. So with that said, let's get into today's podcast. This is the fall of Roe v. Wade updates, just updates and the fall of Roe v. Wade. I am again going to try to keep this as objective as possible as a person who identifies as pro the ability to choose and make decisions, but also someone who really advocates for your ability to choose and make decisions about your own health care, whatever that may be. So on June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court announced their decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, a ruling that had been in place since 1973 to provide federal protections for abortion rights. Abortion is now in the hands of the individual states, and the response was swift. Posts began to appear all over social media from news outlets and supporters of both sides, myself included, and I began to receive emailed statements from professional organizations I'm involved with in support of women and people with uteruses and their reproductive rights. The response to the fall of Roe v. Wade was also swift in states with trigger laws. So 13 states at the time had trigger laws that would ban all or almost all abortions if Roe v. Wade were to fall. And many made good on the promise. Before the day was over, Kentucky, Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Utah trigger laws went into effect. Idaho, North Dakota, Wyoming, Texas, Mississippi, and Tennessee's laws will come into effect after a waiting period of 30 days or less. It was like on election night when you're watching whatever news outlet you're watching and they start popping up like... uh, Ohio called for Republican or Democrat, whatever it was. That's how I felt when I saw this like pop up in my newsfeed. Um, Kentucky or Missouri bans all abortions. So it was really a swift response and people making good on legislation that they had gotten to place. And while anti-abortionists are celebrating a win, Supporters of abortion are not giving up so easily. A Louisiana state court temporarily blocked trigger bans on June 27th in response to a request from a Louisiana abortion clinic, good old NOLA, and its administrator, which argued that the trigger laws banning abortion in the state were unconstitutionally vague. A Utah judge temporarily blocked the state's trigger laws for 14 days to allow challenges, and the law is currently being challenged by Planned Parenthood due to its narrow exceptions. In addition, a Texas judge granted a temporary restraining order to block a pre-row abortion ban, allowing abortions under six weeks to resume at some clinics. And that legislation, I think that happened just yesterday or maybe the night before last. So people aren't giving up so easily. And that's how it should be, right? When you're fighting for your rights. So like you, I have so many questions. Like, how do we get here? Why are politicians politicking in healthcare? And is this really what the American people want? What is the end goal? With so many protections for the unborn, where are the protections for the living? And, you know, we just had a whole conversation about maternal mortality. And so I think about that and I think about 
as an OBGYN, I'm privy to the kind of decisions that need to be made in order to protect the life um, of the mother. So I just have so many thoughts about this and I'm not alone. Well, we got here slowly through legislation that has been passed over the years. States whose governments are anti-abortion have been gradually restricting abortion rights in the hope and belief that Roe v. Wade would one day fall. This was a long play indeed. For example, in 2005, South Dakota passed two pieces of legislation that would make abortion illegal after Roe. Within a month of introduction, House Bill 1249 uh, was passed with little opposition. Due to this bill, abortion is now a class six felony in South Dakota, punishable by up to two years in prison and up to a $4,000 fine. There is no exception for rape or incest. How did we get here? Anti-abortion states are still deciding how to enforce the law, right? It's like one thing to make a law. It's another thing to figure out how you're going to enforce it. Many have decided to prosecute the doctor who performs the procedure, the healthcare provider. Rather than enforce the bans themselves, Texas and Oklahoma urge private citizens to file lawsuits against those accused of aiding and abetting abortions. And this could include a doctor or potentially anyone driving a patient across state lines to obtain the procedure. Huh. And that Texas law is not new. Uh, I think that came into play into play last year. Will women who obtain abortions be penalized? That's already happened in Texas, where a hospital, a hospital, reported a woman's abortion to law enforcement. After being arrested on a murder charge, the case was ultimately dismissed after three days when a local district attorney ruled the case invalid. But it happened to begin with, right? And they had to sort it out after. So nine states have laws that do not, do not explicitly preclude punishment for obtaining an abortion. Meaning nine states have laws that don't say we won't prosecute the pregnant person, the mother, the pregnant person. So what ultimately happens, how the bans are ultimately enforced remains to be seen. And that's can be kind of scary, right? It's a gamble. And for this reason, many involved in reproductive health advocacy are suggesting women in restricted states stop using or take extensive precautions when using period tracking apps. I know, I love a period tracking app. I think I just had like a social media post not too long ago, a reel, on using period trackers because they're so convenient. And you know, who's marking it on a calendar? Who's remembering? We're busy. Um, but as we all know by now, nothing is free. Period tracking apps collect intimate data that could suggest a history of pregnancy or abortion. It's true. Some of us put a lot of information into our apps. Some of us put very little. But data can be subpoenaed or sold to a third party, including information that you might be considering an abortion even. And it's not just period tracking apps. In an NPR piece, Evan Greer, who's the director of digital rights advocacy group Fight for the Future says, an app that is collecting sensitive information about your health or your body should be given an additional level of scrutiny. So wait, 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 wait. Isn't that every app in my phone? And let me go back and actually, he went on to say that it's really any app that you're putting information in or that can track your location, right? Because it can figure out where you are. So isn't that every app and browser in my phone, in your phone? 
Fortunately, some apps may be better than others. And for period tracking, experts recommend apps that store data locally, so specifically on your phone, versus those that store data in the cloud. That way your data can be deleted at any time just by deleting the app. Such, such apps include um, the Cycle Tracker and Apple's Health app. So once you turn off the cloud storing, of course, you have to remember to go and turn off the cloud storing and Planned Parenthood's Spot On app in anonymous mode. So those are just a couple. And if you do your research, you should also be able to find um, the ones that do the same. They also suggest using paid apps, which have less incentive to sell your data. While I sincerely hope that this is just a hypothetical and it never comes to this, it's important that you are aware of the possibilities. I think I made a reel on this on social media yesterday and then someone um, wanted to give reassurance saying they were a data at anal analysis, oh, goodness, a data analyst, um, and that I was sowing fear. And, you know, my thoughts are, it's very easy to say that when you have nothing at stake and you're not someone that's afraid, right? But it's always important to be prepared and being prepared and being afraid are not the same thing. You should always be prepared for the possibilities. And also you should be aware of the possibilities. And I think this applies really more to people who live in restrictive states who are afraid that information, their information might be accessed. But I'll tell you, and this was um, not too long ago, I had a patient who I always, you know, we always during the health visit as OBGYNs, we want to get your pregnancy history. And so she had a history of an abortion. That was her one pregnancy. And so as I started to just document it in her chart, she was very adamant that I remove it because she didn't want it there. She felt very strongly or was very concerned that that information with the climate and the changing climate could be used against her. And while, you know, it's her medical record and we have HIPAA, um, and so I wasn't specifically concerned about that, I, of course, respected her right because we all have different concerns. So another outcome of this uncertainty of the enforcement of the state's anti-abortion legislation is confusion and fear among healthcare providers and facilities. How can you do no harm while also making a decision in the best interest of a patient, while also worrying about the legal consequences for yourself, like fines, loss of your license, loss of your job, um, prosecution. While restrictions on the provisions of abortion are more clear, right? there is some ambiguity around other services. So how other services relate to uh, abortion or pregnancy termination, that's not so clear. For example, the final draft opinion mentions the um, unborn human being, potential life, and the life of the unborn. Some fertility providers are concerned that this language could be applied to embryos, so fertilized eggs. If you undergo in vitro fertilization and they take the egg and they take the sperm, they put them together, you have a fertilized egg, an embryo, and these are stored until they're ready to be used, until they're ready to be implanted into the uterus for a potential pregnancy. And there are just so many questions about how the law is ultimately going to be applied. And again, this is going to be at the state level, so every state will be different. And so again, what will ultimately happen remains to be seen. But some people are afraid of taking the risk. While the end goal 
isn't immediately obvious, the end goal of the fall of Roe v. Wade, the end goal of this legislation, Justice Clarence Thomas made some comments that were foretelling. In his concurring opinion to the ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade, um, the Dobbs versus Jackson's women, Jackson Women's Health Organization, he stated that the court should reconsider all of the court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but Obergefell, <laughs> that's, that's my pronunciation. Um, so let's talk about these cases. Griswold versus Connecticut. That was decided 57 years ago on June 7th, 1965. And at that time, a Connecticut statute passed in 1879 was in place that made it a crime for any person to use any drug or article to prevent conception. The executive director of the Planned Parenthood League of Connecticut and its medical director had been convicted as accessories for giving married people information and medical advice on how to prevent pregnancy and prescribing a contraceptive device or maternal or excuse me or material for the wife's use. They claimed that the um the executive director of Planned Parenthood and the medical director claimed that the accessory statute as applied violated the 14th Amendment. And the ultimate ruling found that a right to privacy can be inferred from several amendments in the Bill of Rights. And this right prevents states from making the use of contraception by married couples illegal. Can you imagine? Okay, Lawrence versus Texas. That was a more recent ruling decided just 19 years ago on June 26, 2003. At the time, a Texas statute made it a crime for two people of the same sex to engage in certain intimate sexual conduct, stating that it violated the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. So let's get the nitty gritty, the story. So Lawrence and Garner had been arrested after Houston police responded to a reported weapons disturbance in a private residence. After entering Lawrence's apartment, they saw Lawrence and another adult man, Garner, engaging in a private consensual act. The final ruling of Lawrence versus Texas invalidated sodomy laws across the United States, making same-sex sexual activity legal in every state in United States territory. Of note, Clarence Thomas joined the dissenting opinion, so he did not agree. Surprise. <laughs> I think he made that clear already. Now, if you want more information, there's like more details of the story. There's a little more drama of what, what actually would happen, that, um, that, how that actually went down, the situation that led to that case. And you can go read it online. I always have all the references in the blog. So every podcast has a corresponding blog and you'll find all the references. And so there'll be a reference with this particular case in it of each of these cases. And so next case, a Birchfell versus Hodges was decided only seven years ago on June 26, 2015. And at the time, Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee defined marriage as a union between one man and one woman. 14 same-sex couples and two men whose same-sex partners are deceased or were deceased at the time filed suits in the federal district courts in their home states. And they claimed that state officials violated the 14th Amendment by denying them the right to marry or to have marriages lawfully performed in another state given full recognition. While their claims were upheld by each corresponding district court, they were ultimately combined by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals and reversed. Uh, okay, so the final ruling held 
that the 14th Amendment requires a state to license a marriage between two people of the same sex and to recognize a marriage between two people of the same sex when their marriage was lawfully licensed and performed out of state. Again, Justice Thomas joined the dissent. And that's the thing about rights. They are hard fought, but easily lost. And the mention of these rulings suggests that contraception or his mention of these rulings and perhaps reconsidering these rulings suggests that contraception and same-sex marriage may be next. So what are people doing to prepare? Having a good birth control plan is a must, but even those options fail sometimes. We all have accidents, things happen. Women and people who can get pregnant are stocking up on emergency contraception, such as Plan B, levonorgestrel, and Ella, ulipristal acetate. Um, Plan B works up to 72 hours after unprotected intercourse, does not require a prescription, and is available at CVS, Target, Walgreens, Amazon, Rite Aid, and Walmart, just to name a few common places that you probably know and probably have access to. Ella is the most effective emergency contraceptive pill, and it works up to 120 hours, so that's five days versus three days with Plan B, after unprotected intercourse. It requires a prescription, and it is the better option for people with weights from 155 to 195 pounds. Intrauterine devices, IUDs, specifically the levonorgestrel 52 milligram IUD, um, which is Mirena and Liletta, and the copper IUD, they also function as excellent emergency contraceptive if placed within the first 120 hours or five days of unprotected intercourse. And the great thing about these is, about the IUDs, is you don't have a weight requirement with that. In addition, they can remain in place as uh, further contraception for an additional six to 12 years, respectively. So you can need them for emergency contraceptive practices, uh, uh, reasons and leave them in place and have them just for continued contraception. And that's the great thing about those. So that's one thing. News articles are also reporting an increase in people requesting or wanting more information about sterilization procedures like tubal ligation or vasectomy. And these are permanent procedures. During a tubal ligation, a portion of the fallopian tube is cut um, and or removed to block the tubes and prevent future pregnancy. You want it to scar off. And actually nowadays, we just remove a portion of the, we remove most of the fallopian tube in general to help decrease the risk of ovarian cancer. That's something you can talk to your healthcare provider about. <laughs> During a vasectomy, the vas deferens, so people with male anatomy, um, the vas deferens, which is the tube that brings sperm from the testes to the penis, um, is cut. And both procedures, again, are considered permanent procedures. So these are not for people who think that they want the option for pregnancy and childbirth in the future. Lastly, and really not last actually, but another thing that people do or people are doing to prepare, obtaining medical abortion prescription pills to have if needed is another step you can take. Organizations such as Aid Access are making sure this option is available to women and people who can, who can become pregnant in every state, regardless of your state's restrictions. If your state restricts abortion, they will ship it internationally. 
And that way the law doesn't apply um, in the same because they're doing it internationally. However, it may take a couple of weeks in that situation for it to arrive. So requesting your prescription in advance is key. Finally, I will always, 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 always encourage you to vote. Vote in the primaries, vote in the midterms, vote, 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 vote. Vote like your life depends on it because it does. So that was it in a nutshell. There's a lot of information. As I said, things are constantly changing. Updates are constantly coming in. So make sure to stay tuned to your trusted news source, okay? And don't forget to subscribe to the blog, the podcast. It's on Apple, Stitcher, Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon, TuneIn, um, the YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter, everything. I'm on TikTok, not not doing a whole lot on TikTok, but I'm there. <laughs> Let me know if you have any questions, if you have any stories. I want to hear your experience. You can share that by emailing drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. That's D-R-H-A-C-K at ladypartsdoctor.com. Until next time. Mm-hmm.